This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks. This is Tal Rabinowitz, the founder of Den Meditation. We are here today with a special guest, Heather Preet. She is probably the first person I spoke to about Den Meditation and the idea, and she loved it, and she came on board, and she is our senior mindfulness teacher here. She is a UCLA-certified mindfulness facilitator, a self-compassion teacher, a mindfulness recovery coach, and she began her formal training in Tibetan compassion practices in 1998, and she's traveled all over the world and studied under masters in the U.S. and India. She is so special. This episode is really cool because we dive into Buddhism and the Dharma and mindfulness practice. She gives you so many small takeaways of things you can do, but we also get super woo-woo. And the best thing, she actually takes some woo-woo stuff that I admit to, and she scientifically breaks it down. So for those of you who struggle a little bit with the woo-woo of it all and kind of react more to the science, this is such an amazing episode because you're going to get both and you're going to start understanding this from a scientific point of view. And frankly, if you're a woo-woo person, you're going to love it because you're going to understand more of what's going on in your body. We also talk about the meditation retreat that's coming up in November that she is leading. And we really dive into what silence means and how it actually is relaxation for yourself. And it is, it's a relief rather than a punishment. And don't forget to stay all the way to the end because she does have her personal practice, which is beautiful and amazing, and you will fall in deep very quickly. It is a five-minute kindness and self-compassion body scan. I'm so happy to have Heather here today. Heather Preet, whose name I never said right for about two years, correct? <laughs> and she is our senior mindfulness teacher here. She is probably one of the first teachers I sat down with to talk about the den. Um, and then she, her classes are packed. I swear, if you've never taken her class, please come. She teaches everything, happiness, self-compassion, mindfulness, and she just radiates love and joy. And part of the reason I'm so excited to have you on here is a few reasons. A, we're doing a silent retreat with her because everyone constantly emails us. How can I get involved if I don't live around the corner? Yeah. We're doing a silent retreat with her in November, which we're going to talk a lot about so people aren't scared of the silence right. and can understand what's happening. But also because one of the reasons you and I connected so much before the den opened was a shared philosophy. Mm -hmm. And one of those philosophies was, which is what the den's based on, is be yourself, be true mm -hmm. to who you are. And I think this is one of the reasons you connect so strongly mm -hmm. with students and your classes are so popular. There's, you live your practice mm -hmm. and there's no judgment, meaning, because you've been through it, which we'll yes. also talk about. But, <laughs> uh -oh. but it's not even about no judgment. It's like there's something about, which I feel very strongly, like everyone needs to find themselves in whatever way that means That's right. and learn to be true to yourself. And so That's if that true. means for a while, it's a mindfulness path for you and then it switches or it's a combination of things, or we've talked about it in simpler forms of, do you like to eat meat? Do you not eat meat? Do you drink? Mm -hmm. Do you not drink? Like stop trying to do what you think you're supposed to do and right. start listening to you and what resonates for you. And that evolves through time, mm -hmm. but just keep checking in with yourself. That's right. And I feel like that's something you as a teacher really practice and also teach. And I love that about you. Do you feel like that is a hard line to walk? Like, do you feel like in your world of teachers or people who then become gurus and all of that, that it you get lost a little bit in your own practice and it becomes this very narrow window of something you're teaching? You know, I thank you so much. First of all, I really appreciate those reflections. Those are um, aspects that are very valuable to me in my heart. So I appreciate you uh, reflecting back that that's what you experience. Um, you know, when you have uh, witnessed my teachings or when we've had discussions. So thank you. I think that this last bit of your question is really, really important. And it's actually kind of poignant for me right now. I actually recently um, noticed something uh, about my mind. So when we teach for long periods of time, and when we're teaching many hours a week, I uh, between my private practice, my clients, and uh, my drop-ins, and then the UCLA courses that I teach. I teach about 30 hours a week. So if we can imagine this about 30 hours a week of me um, sharing it's a lot. the Dharma. Exactly. What's interesting is what can end up happening for a teacher is that a teacher can 
through repetition, can start uh, changing their relationship with the teachings in the sense that they start to see them as a solid truth that um, doesn't really have any wiggle room. So it's like if I said the sky was blue to you, you'd say, yeah, the sky was blue. And if you were going to tell your daughter before she ever saw the sky that the sky was blue, you would say, oh, the sky is blue. And that's very different than saying, I invite you to look at the sky and tell me what you see. Or if you have, if you investigate and you take your color wheel, what color seems to correlate with the sky? How do you relate to the sky? How do you relate to the sky? What is your experience? Because this path is not about an end point. It's not about a finite fixed place that we want to be. What it's really about is insight, investigation, and awareness. So I can't project that onto anyone. That would be that would be actually against the teachings. The teachings said, don't believe anything I say. You investigate for yourself, <laughs> right? I'm just supposed to hand over tools. So if I'm saying the end result is, and I'm saying it with conviction, and I am I'm sort of pointing people to to a conclusion, then really it's a violence of their path. I'm getting in the way of their path. And that's interesting because I feel like that you hear that a lot with therapy and therapists, mm-hmm. where it's like, if you're with a therapist who's giving you the answers, it's right. probably not the right therapist. Yeah. Versus they always say therapy is supposed to be about teaching you how to find your own tools to figure out what's right for you. So do you feel like there's like similar oh, correlation? Oh yeah. I mean, I love that, that you just brought that up because what came to mind when you said that was when we give the answers to people habitually, rather than helping them to come to their internal wisdom, they become dependent on us. Well, I mean, let's talk about those children who are raised that way like yes. by parents who are just doing everything for them and teaching them how to go through the motions. That's and you and right. I talk about yeah. this all the time. I may, I, if I had children, I may be that person. Be that person. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you shouldn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. All of a sudden, these kids become 20-year-olds and then 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. And then right. at 40, they're crumbling. That's right. Because they don't feel like adults at all and they don't know how to handle the world because they don't know how to put one foot in front of the other by themselves. They just know they're walking. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. And so what we really, what, what the path is really teaching us to do is to look inside of ourselves rather than outside of ourselves. So insight is about understanding our internal world as a human being and then how from our internal world, we also relate to our external world, right? So if we have someone that's constantly coming in saying, this is the truth, this is how you're supposed to do it, there's only one way, it's going to cause problems in the end. I mean, we're, we're, we're not going to have the type of insight that this path is inviting us to have. Um, and that is the one thing I will say uh, with conviction, which is that we are meant to have this through experiential knowledge, not what our teacher says, not what someone that came before us says. Now, we can use those people as um, beacons to create faith, which creates volition, the action of our practice, right? It helps us to move forward because we see others have transformed before us. But every single person's path is different based on the causes that have led to the conditions that are within them in the moment. So I could never tell somebody exactly what color the sky is until they see it clearly, and then they can share it with me. That's mm-hmm. It's so interesting because you're also saying that, I love that what you just said, which is as a teacher, I can never tell anyone how to get anywhere. That's right. And everyone has to, you live this life through experiential knowledge, and that's literally what the whole thing is about. So that's as teachers, right. you're aides, that's right. but you're not actually... Your aids and your guides, but you're not solving any of it. That's right. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. that's fascinating because I do think there's an element, depending on how you talk about it, where people say they're in different levels, whether it's like soul levels or mm-hmm. do you feel like you see that? Some people oh, yeah. are just like crumbled with just, like, do you believe in past lives? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, for sure. And, and what's interesting is that a good teacher will be able to— <laughs> There's these different bodhisattva aspects. And a bodhisattva, obviously, is someone, well, not obviously, um, bodhisattva is someone who has transformed their own suffering and then remains on this earth to help transform the suffering of others, right? So the way that I would be doing that would be to hold space for others to go safely into their internal world. So I hold space with compassion and love so that they have a container in which they feel okay to look deeply. And then also by sharing the tools um, on creating 
community, right? That's something that you've helped with greatly, right? So this whole idea of we have the den. So there's different ways in which to support people's practices, but there's also different aspects of the bodhisattva. And one aspect of the bodhisattva is... um, it, I think it's called traditionally, and if I'm misremembering, I'm misremembering, and I think it's called never repeating the same actions or never doing things the same way or doing things differently. But basically what it is, is as we meet different students, we can read, first of all, yes, where are they in their insight? We can also read what is their temperament? What is their personality? What do they what do they veer more to, hyper-empathy or feeling disconnected from the heart? We want to see what the qualities are within each student, and it's the teacher should have a vast enough amount of experience that they're able to meet each student where the tools that they're offering will be most beneficial for that individual at that time. Well, I mean, that's a, high, that's a very specific skill that I could imagine a lot of teachers actually don't have. Do you feel like that's a problem of something that's going on in today's society? I mean, no, but we could talk about it because I do <laughs> I, feel I, like there's a huge wellness I'm surge. I'm like, who's listening right now? No, I'm just Everybody. <laughs> um, but there's a huge wellness surge, which is amazing. Yeah. Yes. But with every positive, there's always a negative. That's right. And some of the negative is then all of a sudden a lot of people are like, I'm a teacher, I'm a this, I'm a that. Yeah. And you know, when we do a teacher training here for this reason, exactly. We want That's people right. to have the knowledge and actually be trained versus just walking off the street and all of a sudden teaching. But do you feel like that is something that's happening now? A lot of people don't necessarily have this knowledge base or this ability because that is, you have to be highly skilled to really be able to read and understand and know what level you're going to and who you're talking to, to be there. And like you said, be that beacon. Yeah. i Okay, so yes, absolutely. And and this is true. You do have to be highly skilled. I just want to say that I'm not, I don't take personal credit for that skill. That skill is something that comes through diligent practice. Right. So it's something you start to develop aspects of the self that we may think of more of us like an intuition, an ability to read, a deep attunement. We uh, practice deep listening. So these are all practices. With these practices, we're able to attune to another, and then we're also able to shape now how we teach. Now, the thing is, a teacher that can do that is going to have, I mean, I've been studying for over 20 years, right? So, and you know, I study every day. I just can't get enough, right? right? So, so it's nice to have a vast Rolodex and understand the essence of each aspect of the teacher. So all of the tools, right? And which direction you may come from. Now, to answer this, this other part of your question, um, I think that one thing that I've because the, the Dharma is so close to my heart. Um, one thing that I have had to come to peace with is that, listen, there are skilled doctors and there are unskilled doctors. Right. There are skilled <laughs> psychotherapists and there are unskilled psychotherapists. There are skilled clergy and there are unskilled clergy. So human beings both have the capacity for great joy, uh, great compassion, and great equanimity and love. And human beings also have the capacity for harm, okay? And so depending on how much transformation we've done within ourselves, we veer, we can veer towards one side or the other. And even doing harm is, doesn't have to be intentional. It can be just out of misunderstanding. Now, I will tell you one thing that Thich Nhat Hanh says. He says, because these teachings can't be expressed in words, because they can only truly be understood uh, through application, words will never meet the true essence of the teachings, that there will always be students who will misunderstand any teacher. So also on the flip side, as a teacher, you have to understand that it is not personal if someone's confused, but then can we meet with them out of compassion and adjust our teachings a bit? Maybe we see somebody asking questions where it seems like they're not quite understanding where you're pointing. Can you stop after class and offer them a few more pointers? Now, the interesting thing about den teacher training is really what we're talking about is a different animal. We're talking about this brand new, amazing thing that's entered into our society, which are drop-in meditation centers. And when I was I say this over and over, but when I started, you had to be a Buddhist or be a member of another contemplative community in order to practice with others. So now we have this thing that's actually I believe, is a little closer to to how it was traditionally where you have a community that comes together and they practice together and there's a teacher. And our teacher training is training people to 
be able to navigate those classes in a skillful way, right? And so it's like there, it's, if we looked at this, we'd say then they might be the monks that were in training, right? I mean, they're not studying like monks, obviously, but they would be the, the, that the community would come to, to get some, some of the teachings that they would do in their home, right? So they would, the homekeepers would learn certain teachings, and your background, you started in Buddhism, right? Isn't that your first avenue yeah. when you started seeking? Mm-hmm. It was and Buddhism. I definitely, yes, and I definitely consider myself to be a follower of the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma. Um, it's hard to say I'm a Buddhist because then you get into the whole thing about like, you know, labels and concepts. But but if I was going to say it just in a really straightforward way, I would say yes, in my heart, fully a Buddhist because I love the Buddha Dharma so much and I believe in it 100%. And yes, I started being taught by a Western monk, a Western Tibetan monk, uh, for about nine years of really intensive training, uh, to bring me through a teacher training, um, that was about four years long in a Buddhist, uh, you know, context. So it's also interesting because we're, we're training people in a different way now because we're, we're providing different services. And I think the world is different now, too. Yes, I it mean, is. I feel like, and what do you feel like as a teacher ah. who sees people coming in? What do you feel like is percolating and bubbling right now for people? Like, Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer us first to one of Thich Nhat Hanh's statements that he makes over and over again, which is there's no set Buddhism. Buddhism mm. changes with every culture. And it is not Buddhism if it doesn't adjust to the needs of the culture at that time. as well as the conditions of people in that culture. So this is one thing we really want to hold dear, that actually we're respecting the Dharma by allowing the Dharma to transform and shift based on the culture in which it's meeting. But that's so interesting because that goes back to what we were originally talking Mm -hmm. about, which is somewhere that, I mean, that's Thich Nhat Hanh saying that from before. It's like somewhere in the middle Things get lost sometimes with rigidity, but I guess that's anything in life. You you start, I think that there is a fear of just trusting kind of the unknown or trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And it feels like if you can't rely on one thing and make Mm -hmm. that your, for lack of better word, dharma or your Mm -hmm. thing. It, it, people, so it's it's some things become very strict and mm-hmm. constricted. Yeah, and that's called a contraction. So that's actually the opposite of awareness and heart qualities. So when we cling to anything, so cling is seen is seen as one of the sufferings in Buddhism. So if we're clinging to anything, meaning we want it to be unchanging, we're automatically bumped out of the Dharma and, that can and also mindfulness. Be a belief. 100%. Right. So whenever we want something to be unchanging, we suffer and we're bumped out of the Dharma. So even our Dharma, we have to understand even Dharma is constantly changing. There, I know that there is going to be a constant unfolding as far as what truth is. So it's what is truth for me now in my practice. And that's why we have to be so careful about how we communicate to others um, because None of us hold finite truth. The At one, all. no, the one change in the. I'm sorry, the one change in the universe. It, I mean, the one consistency in this in this um, samsaric world that we live in or in the universe is that everything always changes. Nothing stays the same. That's the one constant. Now, if people actually would resonate with that and process it, because everyone says that, but like if right. people would actually live it, and that's process right, you live it, it. It'd be amazing how much less crap would come out of people's mouths. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's true because you'd be mortified if you could look five, like, years ahead. You know, you'd be probably doing whatever crap you're saying now, making fun of some, whatever it is. I find people are so quick to judge and have very strong opinions. Not really, like you said, there's no constant truth. That's right. And the one thing that we do want to respect as a constant is that, first of all, there's, like, thousands of teachings, thousands of Dharma doors. So there's not one practice. But one thing we do want to know is that what is that this is a science, this is psychology. So there is a paradigm to how we use the tools. Okay, so I'm going to say I'm, we're going to use the tools in this way. Then we do this, and that's been for thousands of years. But that's okay because the tools are leading us to the actual truth in the practice. And so what do you... Uh, and going that's back, always changing. Absolutely. And what do you feel like, going back to it, do you feel like most of your clients or students are going through right now? Is there yeah, some... Is it? So, so listen, I work a lot with trauma and compassion. Um, I, I, we, we, I, listen, I know that other parts of the world are much, have much more trauma. Uh, we're talking about major trauma like P, PTSD from war-torn countries and, and poverty. So... 
there's, we call that uh, like a capital T trauma. Um, there is some capital T trauma here, of course, but there's also a lot of small T trauma. And that's what I find that's arising um, with my clients and my students. And I think a lot of it's coming to the surface because of what we're going through, what, we're, what we are seeing, the hate speech, the hate speech that's arising and is so loud. And yes, there's always, there's, there's always been this kind of hate when uh, victims of violence and um, victims of this sort of, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't even think of a word of it, but people who have been living in a culture in which they may have experienced the uh, uh, firsthand some of the results of, of misogyny and uh, um, violence, uh, racism, uh, you know, having been persecuted for their sexual orientations. Uh, when we hear this kind of hate speech from the, the leaders of our country, it's very terrifying. So I am coming uh, across much of that. One thing I want to say to people in general is that, remember, there's also beautiful voices of compassion and understanding that are arising. We must allow them to be just as loud in our awareness. We must also see that with the rising of views that may cause harm, speech that causes harm, there's also the arising of wise and loving speech. And we must balance that in order to feel safe in this world. I mean, that's so true. How do you how do you balance also just the idea of, you know, what we were speaking about before is everyone's on a different journey. Every human has good intentions. Every human has bad intentions. Mm -hmm. So things fall both ways for probably everybody at a certain point. Mm -hmm. How do you take that to kind of what's going on now in a way globally of being able to handle, whether it be the hate speeches and, and, you know, one side, another side, mm -hmm. us against them, that type of mm -hmm. feeling. How do you take kind of that train of thought that we were on before of looking at people at different places mm -hmm. and be able to bring it into this tangible moment that's actually like really crushing people? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's a difficult moment right now on both sides. I mean, one of the things is that I have a lot of equanimity and uh, compassion just through practice. Um, because that's what I specifically cultivated uh, over these many years. So whatever we cultivate starts to really infuse our mind, right? So it's neuroscience. It's not that I'm something like magical. And, you know, we all know as practitioners, this is neuroscience. This is available to all human beings. So um, one thing is I really understand both sides. And I understand that there's a lot of fear on both sides. Uh, I also understand the suffering. Um, when we harm others, it causes suffering for ourselves. Um, I also understand uh, the other side for maybe specific issues that I might be personally interested in, like um, freedom of choice around, uh, you know, reproduction freedom and, and, uh, and, and, but yet at the same time, um, of course, if I was brought up uh, to think that, you know, that to, to have a deep connection to uh, to fetuses as completed human beings, and I was brought up to that, that people were harming uh, the babies, uh, I would also have a different perspective. So one thing is we have to understand that the causes and conditions that have brought us to our belief systems. So that's more of an advanced practice, and, and I really don't recommend that for people beginners or for people who maybe are becoming re-traumatized. For those of us who are really feeling dysregulated from the way things are today, we need to ground ourselves in present moment awareness. What's okay right now in this very moment? Are you sitting on a chair? Do you feel your feet on the ground? Are you breathing? Is there a roof over your head? Is there a nice cool uh, temperature on your skin? Can you soften your body on your out-breath? And if not, is there something beautiful that you can gaze at and notice shapes and colors? In this moment, you're alive. In this moment, you can touch peace. So this moment is a wonderful moment. We forget to look deeply at what's simple and what's already here. And then as we begin to come into this present moment, we can see all of the aspects of the universe that are supporting us. The sun keeps us warm. 
and the trees are giving you oxygen to breathe. When we start to look at things, we realize there's more right in the world right now than wrong. We do have great tragedies and we honor those, but we must keep a balanced mind or else we become completely crushed by the difficulties. When you look at um, books uh, by people who survived uh, the Holocaust that were imprisoned, much of what you hear is that they were able to keep joy and connection, you know, even in the darkest, most difficult times, if we can see a ray of light coming through the crack in our um, in our prison, we can touch into joy. Let's talk about that, actually, because I think that is so beautiful and so helpful. I, I, I ask this question a lot. How do you get people to get out of the darkness? Because some people, like you said, have better tools and can navigate because we all experience dark at different times. And some people, the darkness becomes like a strangling blanket. You know, it's like they can't get up. They can't do anything. So how, and it does connect to like the neuroplasticity and all of that, which I'd love for you to talk about a little bit. How do you start finding those rays of joy? How do you start not letting it crush you? Like you said, or crumble? How, How do you do that? You know, well, the, the, the simplest way to, is to just start coming home to this moment in small ways. One, the first bite of food that you take or the first sip of coffee. If we can start training ourselves to be able to come into this present moment bit by bit, then we're automatically tapping into joy. But I also wanted to say this is actually a time in which it's skillful to depend on a teacher. And a teacher may be in person or they might be in a book or a podcast. So if we're somebody who's very depressed and cannot get out of bed, um, we can listen to the teachings. And the teachings are really meant not to be um, something intellectually consumed. They're meant to water seeds in the heart. So a good teacher will be able to water the seeds of peace and joy within your heart. You'll have a glimpse. And with tiny glimpses, we start to see that there might be more expansive reality than what we're caught in when we're caught in that darkness. It's so funny because, you know, when you're talking about with people, a lot of times with people who are, let's say, antisocial yeah. or, you know, reclusive, uh-huh. um, there's something about like, oh, just start connecting with people. If you can just be in the moment, yes. you'll see how you start to evolve. And in a way, you're saying it's the same thing with the teachings. If you can just be within the teachings and just let them wash over you, it will actually evolve too. So it's not that you have to sit there with like a pen and paper. And I mean, by the way, if that's your thing, also do that. Yeah, take notes. I'm all for it. I'm a noter too. But like you don't have to be. You can read and not even recollect. It doesn't even have, you don't even have to really remember it. And it's there. And it's like you're saying it's planned. But I think that's such a beautiful notion and something that hopefully for people who are listening takes a little bit of stress off where because I yes. I think people listen and read and go and search, but then they don't, like you said, commit to a practice. Yeah. And sometimes part of it is just be open and don't feel like you have to do every single thing you're reading. You might, you might end up doing it all, yeah. but just part of just being, it's like osmosis, part of just that's being right. there, it's it sinks in. That's right. That that's really an important um note because that that's how the teachings were really meant to be received. Uh Everything that we do is water. It's a cultivation. It's watering the seeds of the heart. And it's a very different mechanism than the thinking mind. And the the thing is that human beings, and this is actually what I've seen come up in my students, so I've started shifting my my teachings to my dedicated practitioners, um, that human beings tend to go through striving for results. And this is the practice of non-doing. That's fascinating. You're, now, to expand, please. Yes, you're learning to slowly let go of the extra activity that you're adding to the present moment so we can touch into ultimate reality. <laughs> you know? <Mine>. So, um. <laughs> you know, so what we're doing is we're slowly removing the obscurations to the wisdom mind. Um we can one one really literal way that we can see this is when we do our which we'll do later, which is when we do our compassionate body scan, how we're slowly letting go of extra holding in the body. 
right? That extra holding is actually sending a message to our amygdala, our brain, that it's not safe and a little fight, flight, or freeze goes off and we're in this low simmer of stress and anxiety. That's right. When our amygdala is activated, our prefrontal cortex is is not as... as, um, I, let's say bright. It's not as it's not as active, and therefore the present moment is quite dull. Okay. Now, if we can start to soften, let the body and the the brain know that we're safe. What happens is that 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 amygdala starts to calm, prefrontal cortex starts to kick online. We start to tap into this present moment, and then the heart qualities can start to naturally arise. And, takes time because there's going to be different obstacles we may meet, such as fear of that, or maybe a little bit of doubt, or maybe a little bit of, of um, I don't know, we might find a little bit of anger around the heart and that's all okay. But it really is, you are secreting different chemicals. You are changing oh, yeah. your chemical balance. And that's what oh, yes. a lot of people don't oh, yeah. realize through very simple, even just starting with breath or exercises like you talk about or mm-hmm. chanting, whatever it is for anyone, mm-hmm. or like you said, even watering the seeds, mm-hmm. you're starting to shift actually how you secrete That's right. That's right. And so this is what's really important about the way we receive the teachings. So if we receive the teachings with a contraction, we're actually not able to tap into this heart that's moved by the teachings, right? When our heart is moved by the teaching, when I love the, the, the there's a, one of like uh, my teachers, it sounds true is, mm-hmm. is also a podcasting. It's a, but my teachers and it's like, it sounds true, right? We're not saying, oh, that's fact, but there's something within us that says, that makes sense. There's a, there's a quivering of my heart. There's a movement of my heart. Well, that movement of the heart is related to things like oxytocin, which actually activate your neuroplasticity. So they used to say that, well, they Nahan still says, but the traditional teachings is that if you can listen to a Dharma talk with joy, you accumulate something called merit, which allows your practice to um, sort of unfold in a, in a quicker way. You develop merit. So what he, what this is saying, and if we're going to like look at this in at least from my perspective, this is the way I interpret it from the aspect of neuroscience, is that when I listen to the teachings of joy and I can see my teacher as an emanation of the Buddha, my compassion and uh, loving kindness, joy, wisdom centers uh, light up, my heart is is touched, oxytocin then is is released into my body which allows me to further feel safe, relaxed, at ease, and activates my neuroplasticity so that if I can marry these teachings, like marry the present moment with joy, neurons that fire together, wire together, and then over time <laughs> that, that becomes... <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's Rick Hansen's like yeah, great line, yeah. you know, and it's like, and it, and then over time we're living in that space. So there's a lot of merit to listening to the teachings without having to dissect them, but just letting them water the seeds of our heart. I, I mean, I love that. I also love because, I mean, one of the things about mindfulness I think people really relate to mm-hmm. is a little bit of the scientific approach. Mm-hmm. So it feels, so for people who are like, ah, oh, this shit's so woo-woo, it's like, yeah. this is your, I mean, you're speaking about it very scientifically. Mm-hmm. Now, what I love, taking it a step further because mm-hmm. I am slightly woo-woo, as mm-hmm. anyone knows. Well, the more you practice, the more the way that you express your realizations sound woo-woo. Of course. Because well, you can't express them in Right, but that's <laughs> what I was about to say is yeah. another thing, like when people talk about the prefrontal cord, it's like yeah. that's where your manifestation is, that's where, mm-hmm all these things that people don't believe in, whether it's random connections or you know something before it happens or your intuition, but it is like it all connects. It's the science mm-hmm. which drives it to help you with all these things you think are completely woo. That's so, right. Like I'm meditating this morning and I literally just had this thought, oh, this friend of mine who I never get to see for a long story at all. We never for we have a we just can't see each other. Right. It's a little bit ugly that way, but we love each other. And I remember thinking, oh, I should ask her how she is today. I haven't, I haven't texted her in a while. And I'm not joking, like you an look. hour later, mm-hmm. I get a text from her being like, I had a dream about you. I got to see you and I gave you a hug and it was mm-hmm. so nice. And I was like, of course you did. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I was thinking it exactly when you were dreaming because right. I was meditating way too early in the morning. 
But my point is, that's right. Without this boring story, without any really good details, is no, it's it's that it is all the science that helps these. That's a tiny little moment, but those become big moments. Those become you leave a hotel, you know, you forgot something before you walk out the door. It becomes you know that job is for you. You know that that's that's your lover for the rest of your life. Or if you're a really advanced practitioner, if you're one of the enlightened beings that are on this earth, you have omniscience. Right to that point, yeah. And but it is science. It's it's science. It is. That's that. Now, this is what I want to say. If you're going to really study the true teachings of the Buddhist psychology, like really study um, what deep the deep realizations are about ultimate reality, quantum physics and Buddhism are are parallel, (laughs) you know, and like I'm not a quantum physicist, so I can't say that across the board about everything. But the small amount that I am exposed to and that my students are exposed to and that that we read about. If you really know the Dharma, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about the fact that things change based on whether or not we put our awareness on them. Absolutely. And that our perception is something that changes our reality and our experiences. I mean, I could get And lost. interconnectivity, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's amazing, right? So really what's funny is that that if you notice all of the great lamas like Dalai Lama, they say, yeah, more science, more science, more science. Study us, study us, because they already know. They already know all of it. and But they that's what I think know. it kind of goes back to what we started this conversation, which is there's almost all these different lineages or ways of studying, mm-hmm. whether it could be a completely woo-woo version mm-hmm. to like the most scientific mm-hmm. version and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's on there on earth so that so whatever people need to grab onto to be comfortable will move forward. So this is— Do you know what I yes. mean? But really, it's all, like, in the long run, it's one big thing it's that one we're big all thing. connected. And it's that's like, right. what, like, what office space do you need that's going to make you, like, you know, concentrate or work hard or whatever? That's a bad analogy. 100%. But. And that's why different people are going to resonate with different teachers. And this is what I really want, would love to emphasize is that Find the teacher that makes sense to your heart exactly in this moment. And then you you may outgrow that teacher or you may kind of have gotten all your heart. Like if you're one of my students, maybe you get all your heart qualities and, and present moment awareness uh, stuff and you feel you've practiced that for three, four, five years and you feel like you want to learn some Tantra and add that to your practice. You know, I do Tantra. I'm 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 trained in Tantra. I'm trained in uh in a, a non-secular mindfulness and I'm trained in secular mindfulness. And and so please know that these different paradigms are meant to work together. It's not like we have to only have one. Right. Even Thich Nhat Hanh, I mean, his he he is trained in all these two as a monk. You know, he's trained in Tantra. We had these are different teachings in the Buddhist canon that kind of point us in different directions for different types of realizations. And I want to say about woo. I want to talk about woo. Do it. I love that. Because I, I love it because because you know I I constantly. I say, okay, I'm not woo. I'm not woo. Oh, but and, you are. That's but why I'm, I love it. You, but you and I connect way too much. But I'm so you are woo. So <laughs> um, but that's that's because, <laughs> but that's not necessarily where I'm going to lead from with my teachings because you cannot really. Okay, listen to me. This is the situation. <laughs> All right, guys. You're okay, here, here we go. <laughs> we we're, we're 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 in a different time period for practice right now, and one is like, we're, how do we do we adopt the the social structures that we w- teachers were given back in the day? And one is that you don't talk about your realizations. Why might you not talk about your realizations? Why do you think? Well, because someone then there's an expectation, I think, mm-hmm. for a student to feel like they're supposed to have the same realizations, right? And like what you said in the beginning your realization might be is for you because mm-hmm. of what your journey is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, do it you get sounds woo woo. Oh, is really at it? <laughs> I like that. I'm getting scientific here with my answer. Because I know. So, I know you're getting this. And all everything you're saying is exactly correct. But then also, but you're right. This. Actually, you're right. Because you can't you express a, it in words. Right. Once you have a legitimate realization. You it can't is, express it like, in words. Like I went to one of Heather's <laughs> retreats. No, I went to one of your retreats. Yeah, yeah. I think I told you this. And I, I've said this story before and I love it. Mm-hmm. And I could only go because for like half the time. And it was a silent retreat. It was amazing. And I was bummed I could only go for half. But yeah. it was I just left my daughter for the first time. And 
it's because it's silent, you are processing a lot and it's amazing. Do not be scared. This might no, be a good wonderful. lead in actually to talking yeah, about it. It's wonderful. And I remember I kept getting stuck on this one thing. Like for me, it's like you're peeling an onion. So it's like, you're like, oh, well, this is this. And you peel it to the next layer. And and I move kind of quickly. So I was like peeling and peeling and peeling. And I kept getting stuck on this one layer. Mm-hmm. And it was the same layer I've been stuck on many times, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman it was the best therapist I ever had, this amazing African-American woman who would just stare at you with like a scowl almost and just be like, <laughs> you know, like you'd be like, what's the end? You know. I mean, she, she was I phenomenal. She kept turning it back to you, yes, right? Yes, and she made you think and she was just, she was the, like the best therapist and I hadn't seen her in a long time mm-hmm. and she had passed away, which mm-hmm. sucks. So, right. So I was yeah. really, right. So, passed away. And so, I'm sitting there and I'm, I just start giggling. We were around the fire, mm-hmm. still silent at your retreat. And I'm like, I cannot leave this retreat without breaking this up because that's my problem. I always have to strive, which you shouldn't do. I'm not preaching that. But Just I be aware of striving. Then you're fine. Yeah, if you're aware, aware of whatever's aware. happening, then you're in mindfulness. Aware. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I remember thinking, her name's Brenda. Mm-hmm. And I just was like talking to her. And I was like, so I was like, okay, Brenda, I know you're up there. I was like, so can you help me out here? Like, I'd really love for you to like help me figure out what this answer is. And of course, she, my response from her is basically like, um, you know, the like, like what she always says is, I'm not going to help you figure it out. You know it. And I'm laughing with her. Like I'm giggling yes. my head and I'm like, no, I know. I get it. I get that you don't want to help me, but like, can you help me? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to you. Like, so if we're like chatting here, like, can you like, just give it to me? And she's like, she's like, no, like same exact <laughs> attitude. No. And I'm like, and I'm kind of actually tear. I'm like, okay, but regardless, like, thank you so much. Like you were amazing. I just want you to know you're still thought. I'm sure I'm not the only client of yours who thinks about yeah. you still. Yeah. And then I knew exactly the answer. Amazing. And I kind of giggled and I looked up. I'm like, all right, thanks. Amazing. Um, but so like right. it is, it's fucking woo-woo when That's you're like, you right. tell that story. When you tell like, that story, but what was happening inside of you is, was not woo-woo at all. So no. when we, one thing that I can hear and we're going to bring, if we want to scientifically break down your do it. Let's woo-woo do it. experience is woo-woo to science. So the first thing that you did was you, you succumbed to the fact that the thinking mind doesn't have the, all the answers. So that was the first thing you did. One. Trying to figure it out and saying, this is the wrong route. The second thing you did was you turned towards a compassionate figure to aid you in your meditation. That allows us to start to let go of feeling alone, which is a contraction. So I have to figure this out. I'm all alone. When you brought in your your therapist, you were bringing in your compassionate figure. Then as we bring in a compassionate figure that we've associated neurons that fire together, wire together, (laughs) that we've associated with well-being, oxytocin starts to flood our system. As oxytocin floods our system, that amygdala that's trying to figure it out, that thinking mind that's so contracted starts to soften. As that softens, our prefrontal cortex begins to light up. And then you still looked outside of yourself, but you knew the answer because she is actually in your heart. She's in your heart. So then she instructed you to drop down into your heart. Now the science of that is she instructed you to stop thinking. So we unhooked from thoughts and you just had a sense. And when you went into stillness, present moment experience, something we call wisdom, which we would also call intuition, can arise from the bottom up right? This is also some uh, Rick Hansen or Dan Siegel I'm forgetting now. Sorry, Dan, Dan. Uh, From the bottom up rather than from that top down, right? And then you are able to give her gratitude. And that gratitude allows us to feel safe enough in the world to move forward with our wisdom. So yes, it sounds woo-woo. When we we describe it in, in, in in our poetic language. That's why poetry is the best. That's why we've seen throughout history poetry being the best vehicle for people to describe their spiritual experiences. But these are also scientific experiences. These are human experiences. These are biology. We are mammals. I mean, I love how you just broke that down. Is that okay? No, it was amazing because it is... What we're talking about, there is such a, it is all one thing. It is one but thing. But it, usually you fall into one camp or the other. Right. And so I. I'm in both camps. I, I am too, clearly. And <laughs> But I loved how we should do this. We're going to do another episode. Tell me, guys, after this episode airs, if you want to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to get a bunch of people's 
woo-woo experiences. Oh my gosh, I would love this. Including more of my own because I have so many. Oh my gosh, exciting. I know exactly where you're going. And you're going to break them each down with the scientific thing that's happening in the body. I would love to. And then we- You guys, let us know if you like that idea. I love that idea. Yes, and we'll correlate it with some teaching. So we'll point to exactly the kinds of experiences and realizations that they're having and then how you can cultivate them through the process that, 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 leads to those Done. aspects of mind. Does that, that episode's sound good? amazing. Now this makes this episode seem like shit, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> that episode is going to be fantastic. This is just lead into that. I was, although it, it can't, it, it's actually an amazing episode because we have something exciting to talk about, which is the silent retreat. Yes, no, but this is actually a perfect segue, which was yes. not intended. So like I said, I had that amazing experience on the yeah. retreat and I only experienced a smidge of the retreat. I didn't yeah. get to, and I left so sad so just no, you left through full of joy and full happiness. of joy, but I meant so sad. That <laughs> no, like, I know. I was like, oh, my I point make is everyone for someone cry. like me who loves to chat and talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually really sad that I didn't get the experience of being able to be silent for longer. Yes, yes. So yes, I, yes, I want to yes. point on that. So this is a silent retreat. It's in Malibu. For those of you who live close, it's super easy or fly in. The location is stunning and gorgeous. You will be well taken care of. Mm-hmm. It's four days and it is silent. It's November eighth mm-hmm. through eleventh. So let us know if you have any questions. Denretreats.com. Mm-hmm. But Silence. I know for a lot of people that freaks people out. Mm -hmm. And like I said, just coming from my point of view, who talks all the time and thinks all the time, I am probably a candidate who should hate it. Mm -hmm. It is really, for me, it was like, a relief. That's what I, that's the word I was going to use, actually. It yeah. was a relief. It's nice for someone to tell you to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And like, and not because they're angry at you. <laughs> right. Not in a contractive way. <laughs> right. right. For them yes. to just be like, take some time. And like yes. you said, for what you were saying before, it's all about teachings watering you. Mm-hmm. That ends up being exactly what it is. That's because right. since you are silent, and tell me if I'm having, I, this you're, my experience was, you're, you're, you're in a relation, you're in the strongest relationship with yourself because mm-hmm. you're silent. Even though you're there experiencing these teachings and listening to them and they're amazing because it's you, it is funny how you kind of almost go in and out because mm-hmm. you're in your world of, I mean, processing seems so heavy, so I don't want it to be that, but you're in your old world of being there. Mm-hmm. And also you are literally taking whatever it is you're supposed to hear. Mm-hmm. So where I probably completely tune in and all of a sudden like get what I'm supposed to get is exactly what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be getting. And the person next to me might have tuned out in that part and it might mm-hmm. be afterwards that they're getting. And there is something really beautiful. It's almost like you're in a contract, like a silent contract with your teacher mm-hmm. and the universe That's of right. like, you sit there and it's all going to happen. That's right. How did I do? <laughs> you did great. You okay, did good. great. You did great. And I really want to highlight what you said about the relief of not having to talk, right? So it's interesting. One thing that happens with silence is we realize how much stress and energy um, is cultivated through just all of the the kindnesses that we that we feel like culturally we have to constantly you know do, which is lovely, and it's it, it's we want to continue to do this. Hold doors for people, smile at people, ask people how they are. But it, it takes a lot of energy. So the first thing that we're doing when we go into silence is we're learning how to truly relax. Yeah. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how relaxation is an art. So when I'm a bad artist, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, you're drawing outside the lines, like you're still on the, you know, the coloring books, you know, but this is, it is an art. I mean, so many of us don't even know and relaxation, the meditation the point of meditation isn't relaxation, but we need to start tapping into this, being able to let go and unfold into this non-doing, this this quote-unquote relaxation to create the proper space for these teachings to really water our heart. And so to not, you know, when we think about how, how many of us contract before we go to sleep, like we think, oh, I got to sleep in the morning. Well, that contraction, that thinking about what you have to do tomorrow, that tightening your muscles, thinking about how, how, much pain you're going to be in when that alarm goes off in six hours. That is that is the the opposite of what we want to be doing. That's activating your amygdala. That's activating the thinking mind. That's activating tension in the muscles. So this, we can start to see there's so many ways that we do, right? And one of them is speaking. So as we start to let go of that doing, it's we're automatically start sending to a single signal to our body and our mind that it's time to rest and digest. Right. So this 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 silence is not oppressive. And I I know I write this every time and I say this every time, but it's so important. It's not an oppressive silence. It's not like when we were kids and you were really restless and had a lot of energy in your body and you were forced in a contractive way to stay still. That is called torture. That is not <laughs> silent meditation. This is instead 
May I and May the Den and and, and May Talia, who's going to be our our manager for the retreat, may we create a container for you to just release into. Nothing to do, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, nothing to do, nowhere to go. I love that you said that it is the best form of relaxation versus torture, because I do think some people think about it and they already tighten up Mm -hmm. the idea of not having you know, a million emails or texts. And mm-hmm. I think, again, people struggle being with themselves. Mm-hmm. And today's society is not helping mm-hmm. because there's so many distractions. People have no practice with it. Well, you know, we've been, let me, let me, yeah, I like this because I, this is something I would like to clarify in this talk uh, is that we've been taught to be afraid of silence. We've actually right. been taught to be afraid of being with ourselves. But listen to what I'm saying. We're taught but we've never experienced it. So we don't know if we're actually afraid of it. So this is called the fear. Stop saying you hate tomatoes until you try. Try It's called the fear of fear, right? So we're afraid that we may be afraid if we go inside the body. That's what we're going to work with by holding that safe container. And it's a gentle unfolding into the silence. I mean, you, you will feel fully held. If we look, look at the article that was written about that sound retreat and that, that poor woman, she's the, she's the sweetest little being ever that, that wrote the article. She had never even meditated and she was terrified. And by the end, she was in tears with gratitude and she just felt completely refreshed. So we're afraid of something that actually is quite pleasant. It's the fear. So if I can help us when we come together, if there's some people that are nervous, I help them, right? And that's what we do. But when you get there, I mean, think about a time when you've gone on vacation and let's say you let's say you like the beach or maybe you like the woods. So place yourself in one of those two areas, someplace peaceful. You can hear either the waves or you can hear the breeze through the trees. Maybe you're hearing birds. Maybe you're feeling the warmth or the coolness of the air. And you're enjoying just being there. And in that moment, there's something that's so okay that we don't need to check our phone. There's something so okay that we don't need to turn on a radio. How far have we gotten from that? Maybe we have to go all the way back to when we were, we were young to remember how good it felt to just cuddle up and imagine or look at the sky, you know. How far have we gotten from that? So then there's two things I can point to. One is either not far, you did it last week, so you can recall that and say, ah, I enjoy that. Or... Perhaps it was a long, long time ago, and you can say, ah, how did I get so far away? This is actually a beautiful aspect of being human that I'd like to revisit. And then we hold that container, and we learn this beautiful art. The thing is, I will tell you, I I came to this world, I mean, like, I have had a lot of emotional difficulties coming in this world, a lot of anxiety and depression. And one of it, one of the main manifestations was a deep, deep, existential loneliness that was one of the most painful things that I've experienced in life that would follow me around. And I have to tell you that I never have felt so unalone as I do on Silent Retreat. That's so beautiful because I think, again, to take the silence, the science into the woo-woo, mm-hmm. the more you can go in mm-hmm. and get to know yourself and be comfortable with your soul, mm-hmm. the more you realize you're connected to so much more. Because That's I'm with right. you, I never feel alone. Mm-hmm. And it, by the way, before we even started rec- like taping and recording, you and I were joking about dinner because we thought we were having dinner this weekend. Mm-hmm. And it turns out she's leaving and we're not. And I was like, well, I already have the babysitter. so And my husband's going away. So I'm like, I'll probably just go by myself. Mm-hmm. And we were laughing because I'm like, it sounds like I'm so excited about it. Exactly. You were saying how you love to go to dinner by yourself. <laughs> and it, there is something really great. Once you realize you're not alone ever, you can be alone all the time because you're That's not doing right. it in a reclusive way. You're not doing it in a way to like, because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. You're doing it in a way because like you're refueling. You're hanging out. Like I was saying, I'm hanging out with my buddies. Like, That's it's right. Crazy, but you connect, you talk, you like go mm-hmm. back inwards. Brenda, my Brenda's up there. That's so it's right. like. And she's in your heart. And she's yeah. in my heart. So I feel like there is something really beautiful about saying that for a silent retreat is you'll realize how not alone you are. Not just because there's people sitting next to you, but like within you, there is so 
much. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you can tap into that, mm-hmm. so much of your life, like you said, you had this loneliness and you don't feel that anymore mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you've done the practice. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And that it's, it sounds funny, but I feel like these, a silent retreat is, is a little bit of the antidote to that existential loneliness, which seems contradictory to the thinking mind, but exactly for what you're saying, it's like, it gives us time, you know, when we're not speaking, when we're walking slowly, when we're eating mindfully, it settles the thinking mind and then we can see what else is here. And what else is here is amazing and beautiful. And then we end up starting to sense one step further that our heart is actually no separate from anybody else's heart or wisdom mind. And there's a connection that happens without the very things that separate us. So when you're in silent retreat, you're not dealing with personalities. You're not dealing with political views. You're not dealing with, do you resonate with the tone of somebody's voice, right? Or not, do you resonate with someone's humor, not resonate with someone's humor? All of those things that kind of separate us are are lifted because we're not communicating. But the things that we share, like this wonderful desire to tap into our inner goodness, to transform our suffering, and to make this world a better place, we know we're all sharing in that moment in that room, no matter what level we're at. If it's ultimate bodhicitta or if it's just, please help me learn how to work with my anxiety. And it is for all levels, by the way. Like yes, you can, it like, is. You, we said the woman who wrote the article never meditated, and she loved it. She loved it. And then I have t- uh, students that have been working with me for like five years that uh, not that have been that were on the same retreat, right? right. So yes, exactly. and again, because you're you're it's inward. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, your own relationship with you, the teacher, yourself. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So that's November eighth through eleventh, and again, denretreats.com if you want more information. I want to run to your yes. four yous because yes. so four quick questions with four quick answers, takeaways oh. for the okay, for, yes, for, yes, for yes. everyone who's listening. Your favorite book. Okay. What did I put down as my favorite book? Um, so this is challenging for me because I am somebody who is look looks into about five books a week. So can we say my favorite book for right now? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So I'm reading a wonderful book by Thich Nhat Hanh about the Lotus Sutra that is is uh, so, so beautiful. And another book by Thich Nhat Hanh about the Heart Sutra in which he translates the sutras and um, the, the, uh, amazing. Gorgeous. Meditation you rely on the most. Mm, this interesting. So I guess what I would say is I always begin with present moment awareness. I mean, we can't practice without present moment awareness. Um, and it fluctuates depending on what state I'm in. So meditation is really like taking your vitamins. It's like, what what do I need a little bit of right now? Right now, my main practice is, is holding containers for other people. So it'd be mindful listening and uh, equanimity and compassion practice hard um, for me. <laughs> Tip for a helpful meditation. Oh, so no need to effort. You know, is this a tip for a helpful meditation or a helpful tip? No, that's perfect. Okay, so no need to effort. Can we soften into our practice that we don't need to strive? So just come home again and again to the present moment. And remember, there's no pass-fail. So just if we just take um, three breaths throughout the day, breathing in, I'm aware that I'm here, breathing out, I smile. So that's just saying that there's a little joy that I'm here, that I'm present in this earth. Maybe breathing in. I know my feet are on the ground. Breathing out, I smile. Third breath, breathing in. I know that whatever brings you joy, the trees are here. Breathing out, I smile. I love that. Food, drink, or object you cannot live without. (laughs) You already know my answer. I do. I know yours. Coffee. (laughs) But I like that because also some people feel like I can't meditate. I drink coffee. I mean. Oh, no, 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 no. So I want to also say meditation can go along with whatever medication you need. They're not mutually exclusive. We want to use all the paradigms. So um, for for me, my favorite drug or the only drug I really get to use uh, with reckless abandon these days um, (laughs) since I don't drink is uh, coffee. And can I just say as as many coffee snobs uh, out there that are going to scoff at me, uh, thank you, nitro cold brew sweet cream. Uh, thank you that. very much. Oh my gosh. 
Plus, because, you know, I haven't drank alcohol in almost 20 years. So it's probably the closest to a beer feeling that I've gotten in like so 20 that years. Was your new hangout. You're like, I'm drinking a beer, a I, cold nitro. I do, I do. I do with a little sweet cream. So I love it. And of course, you know, the objects of my books, because my teachers are in my books. So I, I couldn't live without my books. Um, and then, of course, I'm always obsessed with my students. Uh, I just love them all so much. Aww. I love them so much. And the realizations I, I, I'm always always in awe of their practice and their dedication. You are so fun to talk to. Ooh, it was so great to yay. have you here. I really hope if people are interested, they go on this retreat. Don't forget, I'm going to wrap up now, but don't forget to stay tuned because she is going to do a love and kindness body scan about five to 10 minutes yeah. um, for her personal practice. But thank you. Yes. And I promise you, I've been on these retreats, so don't miss it if you can get there. We will do them throughout 2019 as yes, well, but this is the last one before the end of the year. And trust me, you want this before the holiday season hits. Uh, it will help yeah. you a lot. <laughs> yes. I usually, my my personal retreat, I usually go right before Christmas. Um, and it ends, I think, on like the 23rd usually. And, and then, then like, you know, hop deal. over to your parents. Exactly. <laughs> it is really a perfect answer. It's perfect. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys for listening. And please, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. And if uh, we would love to hear your woo-woo story so we can get that going mm-hmm. for the next episode. So go on to our Facebook page. It's a closed Facebook page. So go on Dentalks Podcast. And if you can go on and put whatever fun woo-woo story you have so we can get yeah. to Heather and she can scientifically look, dissect that. That's for right. Us. And I look forward to sharing that story with you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Okay, so now Heather's going to lead us in her personal practice, which is a love and kindness body scan, and it's going to be for five minutes. Mm-hmm. So hello, everyone. Go ahead and find a comfortable posture. So this practice can be done sitting, but it's also a practice that uh, can be very beneficial lying down. I just recommend that you choose the posture in which you won't go into a sleep. As long as we can keep our mindful awareness here, then whatever posture is most comfortable for the body is the one that we would like to choose. This is a loving-kindness practice. We're learning how to change our relationship with our body from judgmental, adversarial, neglectful, to loving, kind, attentive, and healing. Begin to just feel your body here on the cushion or on the floor. So we can notice the different areas of the body that make contact with the floor or the cushion. Notice that you're being held. Dropping into this awareness that there's nothing we need to do right now. That the earth or the chair, the bed is holding us. If you'd like to add a little bit more of a feeling of heart, you can imagine that you're being held in gentle, caring arms. Supported and at ease. Beginning to feel this body here as a whole. How do you know you have a body without looking? We sense it. So dropping our awareness down into sensory observation of body. It may feel solid, porous. You may feel movement, tingling. If the mind wanders, just label that thinking quietly in the mind and guide it back to the body. Breathing in, I'm aware of my body. Breathing out, I soften. Body, soften. Beginning to unfold into our gentle non-doing. This is a kind invitation, not a demand. We're creating a loving relationship with the body. 
bringing awareness now to the scalp and the forehead, feeling tingling movement, ease, tension, the temples into the eyes, feeling the ears, jaw, lips, tongue, breathing in, I'm aware, breathing out, I soften, letting go, body, soften, You can repeat the words body, soften, or aware, soften on the breath as we guide our awareness to the throat, the neck, the shoulders, the collarbones, the chest, the upper back. Noticing different sensation areas of ease and tightness. Savoring the areas of ease and sending kindness to the areas of tightness, inviting a softening on the outbreath. Guiding our awareness down our arms, allowing the arms to become heavy, letting go. Feeling areas of ease, softening, softening. This warm spotlight in the hips and the glutes, down the legs to the feet. Feeling areas of tension, holding, softening on the outbreath, letting go. Allowing the legs to become heavier and heavier and savoring sense of peace or well-being. Aware. Soften. Breathing into the torso, feeling it from the collarbones down to the glutes, the whole upper back, lower back, allowing the breath to gently massage the body. Aware. Soften. And on your own time, gently guiding yourself out of practice. Then Talks is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edon, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.